Well, I invite you this morning to turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 13. Exodus 13. Now, some of you at this point may be thinking to yourself, hold on. Exodus 13, I thought we were beginning a series in 1 John. Well, we find ourselves in an interesting place this morning as a church, and we'll get to that in a second after we pray. But as you turn to Exodus chapter 13, uh, let us go to the Lord one more time in a word of prayer as we declare our dependency on Him in all things, especially as we desire to be transformed by His Word. Let us pray. Father, so thankful for Your grace towards us. What a blessing it is for us to be able to sing. What a blessing it is for us to have human language that we can convey the truth of who you are, that we can declare and proclaim the truth of who Christ is, that with the words from our mouths we can sing and make praises to the Lord God, that we can take the message of the gospel of hope to those who are lost and dying in a world without hope. What a blessing language is. Father, as we continue our worship, as we continue to dive into the Word of God, the written Word of God, we also see that You have preserved through us, for us Your heart and Your mind through written language. What a blessing that is. That we can take with us not only the Word of God that has been hidden in our hearts, but that we can take a physical copy of the truth of who you are and what you've done through Christ. And so as we seek to understand the Scripture, as we seek to apply it to our lives and even to the life of this church, Father, my prayer is that the Spirit would be among us. That it would help us to remove, excuse me, distractions. Father, that it would be impressed deep down into our souls in order that we might leave this place changed. Father, would you do this good work in us? And it is in your name we pray. Amen. Well, beloved, we have just finished up a series through the book of Jonah. And so if you are visiting with us this morning, we are starting a new endeavor together as a church on Sunday morning. Now, I think I mentioned back at the congregational meeting and probably in our time together on a Sunday that my desire was to start the book of 1 John. And I still plan to do that, and I am excited about it. I've already started to prepare. I've already started to read ahead. I've started to break down the book and to see the themes which go throughout it and Uh, There is a lot of rich theology in the book of John, 1 John, but there's also a lot of practical implications for those who are in Christ and have given themselves to Him in faith. And so during our regular Sunday mornings, we are going to begin working through the book of 1 John, verse by verse, line by line, paragraph by paragraph, and thought by thought. But through many conversations that I've had with people over the past month or so, I also thought that it might be good for us as a church to work back through 
the vision statement and commitments. I wonder if you remember that document from two years ago. If not, there is one included in the insert in the bulletin for you to take a look at this morning, as well as to take with you so you can review and read it over. I wonder if you remember back February 2019, now I know that seems like an absolute lifetime ago, we have been through a a pandemic as a church and a culture, right? And so 2019, probably not too many of us remember. But in February of 2019, we presented to you, the church, at a congregational meeting, a statement of our vision for Berean BFC and our four commitments that we would use to serve as vehicles to accomplish that vision. Again, you can find that vision statement as well as the four commitments on the bulletin insert in front of you. Now, as I talk to people, I realize that there are quite a few of you with us now that actually weren't with us in February of 2019. We had 16 people join the church just in the year 2019 alone. And we've had more join since. And so I thought it would be good for us to take some time on Communion Sundays to work back through our vision and our commitments. And so this morning I want to start off with our vision You can find it again on that bulletin insert, and I want to read it for you briefly just to, again, present it to you to refresh your memory or maybe for some to introduce it to you for the first time. But this is our vision for Berean Bible Fellowship Church, and this is what it says. It says that our desire is that we would grow in our love for God and for one another, and share his love with the world. Therefore, we must be intentional in all we do for the glory of God. We believe that God is at work in us and around us, and we trust that he is working to change the affections of rebellious hearts through the proclamation of the good news of Jesus Christ and the activity of the Holy Spirit. Our desire is to be purposefully aware of that work through persistent prayer and to invest in it. In our worship, our preaching and teaching, our spiritual conversations with one another, and in our day-to-day relationships, we expect that God is going to change us as we commit ourselves to learning to grow in Christ together. And so this morning, I want to begin a series on the vision and commitments on our Communion Sunday. Now, I imagine that for some of you, there's a question that you might have at this point, and it's a very legitimate question. Why in the world do we need a vision statement and commitments? Now, I'm convinced that the answer to that question, why do we even need this document, is as grounded in Scripture as our vision and commitments are. 
And so what I want to do this morning as an introduction to the vision and commitments is I want to unpack for you Exodus chapter 13, Exodus chapter 18, and Exodus chapter 19 and see from the Scripture a biblical answer for why we need the vision statement and commitments. Let me answer it for you at the outset, and you can find the answer in the big idea on the insert in your bulletin. The question is, why do we need a vision statement? Here's the answer that we will seek to unpack this morning together. It's this. God desires to lead His people through godly elders who set a clear direction from His holy and inspired Word. Let me read it again, just so that we get it at the outset here. God desires to lead His people through godly elders who set a clear direction from His holy and inspired Word. Now, I hope that you notice that in that definition, there are three parts. The first part is that God desires to lead His people. The second part is that God leads His people through godly elders. The third part of that statement is that God leads His people through godly elders who set a clear direction from His holy and inspired Word. Let's take each one of those ideas this morning. And the first idea we find in Exodus chapter 13. So I trust that you are there with me in Exodus chapter 13. The first thing we see from these passages of Scripture is that God desires to lead His people. God desires to lead His people. What a comforting thought that is for our hearts this morning. That God desires to lead us. Just take a second and reflect on that statement. God desires to lead you. God desires to lead us. He does not want us to wander into perilous territory. He wants us to stay on the straight and narrow. God desires to lead us beside still waters and into greener pastures. Now we see this very early on in the Scripture. Even God's command to Adam and Eve was a desire to keep them in the midst of the garden and enjoying God's presence forever. You see, beloved, God's desire is to keep you safe and secure, enjoying the fruits of His everlasting life, and He does this through His constant presence. Does that truth bring comfort to your heart this morning? We see this truth in Exodus chapter 13, beginning in verse 17. Look at it with me this morning. Exodus chapter 13, verse 17 says this, When Pharaoh let the people go, 
God did not lead them by way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. But God led the people around by the way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea. And the people of Israel went up out of the land of Egypt equipped for battle. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him. For Joseph had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones with you from here. And they moved on from Succoth and encamped at Etham on the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light that they might travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from the people. Now, let me give you a little bit of a historical context to what's happening here in Exodus chapter 13. We know that all the way back in Genesis chapter 12 and 15, that God made a promise to Abraham. And his promise was that he was going to enter into a covenant relationship with Abraham and his descendants after him. God was going to commit himself to Abraham's well-being. He was going to bless Abraham with a child. And that child was going to grow into a great nation with a multitude of people. As many as the sands of the seashore or the stars of the sky. Not only this, but God was also going to give a land to Abraham's descendants so that they would have a place where they could dwell with God indefinitely. Now where we find ourselves in Exodus 13 is in the midst of God fulfilling His plan to give His people the land that He had promised. Now by this time, God has already fulfilled the promise of multiplying Abraham's offspring to upward of 600,000 people. And so there are about 600,000 people coming out of Egypt and into the promised land. God is about to deliver them from slavery and give them that promise which He had promised even to Abraham. Now I wonder if you could imagine this morning trying to lead 600,000 people anywhere. I mean, I have enough trouble trying to corral my five kids into a van. I can't even imagine what it would be like to try to lead 600,000 Israelites, men, women, and children into the promised land. What we see in Exodus chapter 13, verse 17 through 22 is no small demonstration of God's provision and protection. And in this passage, we see that God desires to lead His people. He doesn't just want to deliver them from, Israel, from Egypt and then say, well, I've done the hard work of breaking Pharaoh's will and bringing you to this place, but now you're on your own. No, God doesn't do that. God desires to lead His people to safety. 
And in Exodus chapter 13, verse 17 through 22, we see three things very briefly concerning God's leadership. The first is that God's leadership is considerate. It's considerate. Notice it with me in verse 17 to 18. It says this, When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near, for explanation, God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. But God led the people around by the way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea, and the people of Israel went up out of the land of Egypt, equipped for battle. You see, beloved, God knew His people. And he didn't know them in just a casual sense. He knew the very depths and recesses of their hearts. God understood the limitations of the Israelites. He knew their weaknesses and their fears. And so God leads his people accordingly. One commentary on this passage said this, That God knew the Israelites' limited perspectives and naive expectations full well. And thus led them away from from Philistine territory. God's compassionate words in the second sentence of this verse, if they face war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt, demonstrate His concern for their unpreparedness to fight any other military force at this point. You see, beloved, every good leader leads in light of weaknesses. To be honest, any good strategy for moving forward keeps weaknesses at the forefront. The reason, beloved, we need a good plan, the reason we need a vision for where we are going The reason we need commitments to keep us on plan is because we know that without that plan, our tendency is going to be either to wander or to turn back in the face of difficulties. You see, a good plan keeps us moving forward in spite of our tendencies. In our text, God sets in motion a plan that takes into consideration not only where the Israelites were going, but also where they had been. God knew the weaknesses of His people, and He constructed His plan accordingly. But there's a second thing that we see concerning God's leadership in Exodus chapter 13. Not only is God's leadership considerate, But God's leadership is also conspicuous. Conspicuous. For those who are struggling with that word, it essentially means obvious. God kept his leadership obvious. We see in verse 21 that God leads from the front. And that his leadership is clearly discernible. Notice it with me again in verse 21. It says, and the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, 
and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, that they might travel by day and by night. What we learn about God in this passage is that his leadership was always before the people, and it was unmistakable. It was a clear vision of who God was and how he desired and where he desired to lead them. God was seen the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. The people always knew where God was and where he was moving to. You see, God conspicuously led from the front. Again, in verse 21 of Exodus 13, it says, The Lord went before them. That is such a fantastic verse for us. The Lord goes before us. This is a statement both of leadership and protection. It certainly invokes the picture of a shepherd leading his flock. Even as a shepherd goes before the sheep, to scope out the land and anticipate any dangers or obstacles, so the Lord goes before those whom He loves. Now how did God lead His flock with unmistakable direction in this passage? Again, notice it in verse 21. It says, And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud, and by night in a pillar of fire. You see, at this point, God is so aware of the frailty of His flock that He makes sure that His leading is obvious and attentive. He leads them in a pillar of cloud by day to protect them from the hot sun of the desert heat. And a pillar of fire by night to put a light before their path so they do not stumble in darkness. You see, the people needed a light off in the distance that would keep their attention and would orient them to where they were going. And beloved, we are no different. We need something to guide us. We need an unmistakable direction. We need a unifying vision of God and His desire for this flock. We need this vision to be constant and consistent. But there's a third thing that we notice in our text for this morning. Not only is God's leadership considerate, not only is it conspicuous or obvious, but God's leadership is constant. God's leadership is constant. Notice it in verse 22 of Exodus 13. It says, The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from the, before the people. Notice that God's presence never departs from the people. He was always by their side. He never removed His hand of protection or care. And this certainly sounds like a promise that Jesus gives us in the New Testament. We're going to look at it a bit this morning in our Sunday school hour. 
but I'm sure you all you are all familiar with that promise that Jesus gives to his disciples as he is ascending to the Father in Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. It says this, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. You see, brothers and sisters, God's desire is to be with His people. Not only to lead them, but also to be among them. To be present with them. To grant them constant access to His side. You see, the pillar of cloud and fire never left its post before the people of Israel. It was always before them. What we learn from Exodus 13 is that God desires to lead His sheep considerately, conspicuously, and constantly. Now there's a question that we all must ask at this point, and it's this. Does God lead His people like this indefinitely? Does God always lead His people with a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night? Does God always lead with a supernatural manifestation of His presence? Or does God lead us, His 21st century people, differently? Now I hope that the answer to that question is quite obvious. No, God does not lead us the same way that He led Israel in the wilderness. God, and hear this, beloved, God didn't even lead the Israelites like this forever. When they get to the promised land, God leads Israel in a much more ordinary fashion. God does not ordinarily lead His people with a supernatural manifestation of His presence. Instead, He leads in a much more ordinary way. And so the question that you might be asking yourself at this point, well then how does God lead us? How does God lead His people constantly, considerately, and conspicuously in our day? The answer to that question is this. God has delegated His leadership to godly men who are committed to His Word and who lead considerately, conspicuously, and constantly. God desires to lead us And He does so through godly men who set a clear direction from His Word. It's our second fill-in for this morning. If you're following along in the insert in your bulletin, you notice there that we see in our text that God desires to lead His people through godly elders. God desires 
to lead through godly elders who set a clear direction from his word. Now we see this transition take place right before our eyes in the book of Exodus. God begins leading his people with a pillar of cloud and fire in Exodus 13, but he transitions over to leading his people through godly men in Exodus chapter 18, verses 19 through 23. Notice it with me this morning. Beginning in verse 17 of Exodus 18. says this, Moses' father-in-law said to him, What you are doing is not good. You and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out, for the thing is too heavy for you. You are not able to do it alone. Verse 19, Now obey my voice. I will give you advice and God be with you. You shall, present, you shall represent the people before God and bring their cases to God, and you shall warn them about the statutes and the laws, and make them know the way in which they must walk and what they must do. Moreover, verse 21, look for able men from all the people, men who fear God, who are trustworthy and hate a bribe, and place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. And let them judge the people at all times. Every great manner they shall bring to you, but any small matter they shall decide themselves. So it will be easier for you, and they will bear the burden with you. If you do this, God will direct you. You will be able to endure And all this people also will go to their place in peace. Now what we know about the background of this passage is that God had chosen Moses to be his representative on earth. Moses was to deliver God's message to the people and to stand as a mediator between the people and God. Moses acted as somewhat of a priest and prophet and king to the Israelites. But in this passage, we see this duty far too overwhelming. No way can Moses solely bear the responsibility for all 600,000 Israelites. And so, a God-ordained messenger comes in the likes of Jethro and directs Moses to divide the people and entrust them to faithful men, men of character, men who loved the Lord. And this, this becomes the driving organizational principle throughout the rest of Israel's history. And even into the church's history. You see, beloved, God confers, that is, He grants the responsibility of His presence with His people as a considerate and conspicuous and constant leader to faithful and godly men. What we learn in our passage in Exodus chapter 18 is that God leads through godly men. 
But God didn't just give his people godly leaders. He gave them something so much greater. He gives them something that would direct those leaders in every decision they made. He delivers to them his law. Clearly set forth in Ten Commandments. In the very next chapter, after God has entrusted the people to godly men, God then delivers His law. Is this a coincidence? I do not think so. Notice it with me in Exodus chapter 19, verse 1. It says, on the third new moon, after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that day they came into the wilderness of Sinai. They set out from Rephidim and came into the wilderness of Sinai, and they encamped in the wilderness. There Israel encamped before the mountain while Moses went up to God. The Lord called to him out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagle wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak To the people of Israel, notice what Moses does next in verse 7. So Moses came and called the elders of the people and set before them all these words that the Lord had commanded him. God's desire is for the people of Israel to know all the words that he delivered to Moses, and he does this through a certain means. And we see that means in verse 7. Moses calls the elders of the people, and he sets before them all the words that the Lord commanded him, so that the elders now could be his representatives to the people. And then in Exodus chapter 20, God continues to give the law in the Ten Commandments. Exodus 20 verse 1, And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or in the earth beneath or that which is in the water or under the earth and so on and so forth. Moses calls the elders of the people, those whom he has just appointed as leaders, and he sets before them all that the Lord commanded him. Why? Because these words are going to become the guiding principles for everything they do. These words written in the Ten Commandments are a clear direction for how the people are to conduct themselves while they are in the promised land. And the elders are now entrusted to disseminate this word and direction to all those whom the Lord has entrusted to them. God knew 
that his people needed his constant presence in order to make it to their destination. And so he delivers that constant presence, beloved, in a very ordinary means. He delivers it through faithful and godly men who are committed to his word. From Exodus 13 to Exodus 20, God changes from a physical direction in the pillar of cloud and fire to a verbal direction through his word delivered by godly men. The Lord no longer primarily guides his people by a supernatural phenomenon, but in a much more ordinary means. Through godly leaders committed to be faithful to his word. Beloved, is God still leading his people? Absolutely yes. God is still leading us. Although it may not be in an extraordinary manner, but in an ordinary means, through men who are called to shepherd the flock of God. That's why the call in the New Testament for elders, especially in Acts 20:28, 20, but also in 1 Peter chapter 5, is for the elders to be shepherds of the people, to come alongside of them, to live among them, to lead by example, and to be committed to deliver God's Word to them. Now some of you may be asking, what's the point? What's the point of all this? Let's go back then to our initial question. Why do we need a vision statement? The answer is because that is how God has chosen to lead His people. God has given to His church and this church called and qualified men who love the Lord and are committed to His Word. And our desire to be considerate, conspicuous, and constant in our leadership is to give you something, some kind of vision that we can keep before us at all times in order that we may always know where we are going. The vision statement serves this role for us. And I trust that as you take it home and as you read through it, everything you find in that vision is based solely and grounded entirely on the Word of God. Even our four commitments, as we think about how God is going to fulfill this vision for us, each one has been thought over and prayed over and sought in the Word of God in order that we might be certain that the direction that we set for you is the direction that God desires for us to go. And so as we prayed over this vision, we believe that this is God's call on our life as a church according to the Word of God. Let us pray together. Father, what a marvelous thing it is that you have not left us to ourselves, Father, but that you have given us so many means to lead us into greener pastures. We think of especially your word. We think of the Holy Spirit. 
We think of fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. We think of the community of believers that gathers each and every week to remind one another of the good news of the gospel. We think of those men, those leaders that you have given to this church in order to direct it in the way in which you would have us go. And so, Father, we trust and pray that that which we are seeking to embark on is your will for us. That as our desire is to grow in Christ, Father, that we would do so by the means that you have given us to grow. Father, would you continue to use our vision and our commitments to direct our efforts here at Berean Bible Fellowship Church. We're so thankful for it, and we pray this in your name.